0: Yes sir. yes, sir. The man wanted to ride. What did he do? Swing down, sweet chat. If you're feeling my vibe, then we can all just ride. If you want to get down, then we can all just ride. I want people to throw your hands up high and just ride. Where you from, east side to west side, just ride. I want people from uptown
1: to downtown, from Kelly to NY. You know, we all ride. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Bay Heights podcast. I'm Jason. I'm with Ryan. If you have any mail, any questions, anything you want us to talk about on air, you can reach us at Heightspod at gmail.com. You can also get us on Twitter and Instagram at BayHeightsPod. Alright, man. How you doing?
0: Hey Jason, pretty good. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing alright. I'm doing all right. Um have you ever watched Billions TV show?
0: No. Um, but I have I know a lot of people that have watched it. I've some good things about it, so no, I haven't. Yeah, it's uh
1: I have gotten into it a bit like I was in quarantine, so I could catch a few episodes. Definitely very entertaining. It's more of just an indulgence. Like, is it it super deep and super intelligent? I don't know about that. But um, it does take a bit of a turn once you get to like the later seasons. There's definitely some darker sides to it. I don't know if I fully enjoy some of it, but it's um, definitely great acting. It's kind of like there's a B-plus show, everything about it, from the production, the writing, the casting, the I would say it's kind of like if I think of Entourage and Good Wife as like an A plus show, then this is this is kind of that B plus show. That's how I'm okay. seeing it.
0: Now the reason yeah, the it act- came to mind is, yeah, Sorry, what? no, the actors are are good. I've uh, I, I know I'd probably enjoy it that way. Yeah,
1: uh, so I recommend it if you get a chance to. There's a lot of good quotes to it too. There's just the, uh, sometimes it's like writers sometimes they in their head know they want to make a scene. And then they'll figure out a plot line how to get that scene. That's kind of what it feels like. That's why I give it a B plus, not an A plus. Gotcha. You know what I mean? You're, it's a bit like uh, when wrestling bookers they want to book the spot and figure out how to get there, versus mm-hmm. they want the angle and the story, and then they will let the spot develop. And yeah, so, exactly. Kind of, kind of that. Now, one of the interesting things about billions is they once one or more of the writers must be big wrestling fans because like through seasons one through two and maybe three, like there's just been a plenty of wrestling references that have just popped up as through analogies and quotes among these guys. Oh, um, yeah. it's they will use the lingo too, right? Like they'll talk about um, when you want to bring the heat, you bring Ric Flair, something like that. When oh. you, uh, <laughs> um, one of the traders gifts, one of the interns gifts, one of the trader wants to, you know, just give a nice present. So he, he gets, an autographed poster of undertaker of mankind from king of the ring 98. Oh wow. So so like so just a lot of these little references have popped up in the show. So to me I it was think, one of those
0: yeah. I think I was watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy. My wife really likes that show and someone said on that show and of course it's I'm kind of watching it listening to it in the background. And one of the characters says something to the effect of, Oh, well he's just turning heel now. And I thought, Whoa, that's that's an interesting line. Like who who says it's, that? And and it was really the only wrestling nugget that I ever heard, you know, since and before in that show. It's is
1: certainly proliferating. Um it's I actually think that it pops up a lot more in ESPN than it actually just rolls off now in ESPN at this point. Um it's
0: yeah, they're not even hiding it anymore. Oh god, no, no. I hear it. I hear it both misused and uh, I mean, I, to me, it actually bothers me. Um, I'm kind of like Jim Cornette, where I, I don't like a lot of people using it incorrectly. There's, um, I don't know if you know who Ariel Hawani is. Yeah, um, of course, From Montreal. He, he's yeah, he's he's Mr. MMA, and I get it. He's like the best, but I've I've been so turned off by him um, in recent years. He's just, in my opinion, just a complete, you okay. know, yes. ESPN shill and just, okay.
1: you know, um,
0: you know, okay. um, yeah, I mean, he interviews Conor McGregor in the midst of like 18 scandals and just asks him about the upcoming fight. I get it. It's, you know, but, um, I think the problem I have with him is he insists on being a journalist and he okay. is offended when you don't call him a journalist, um, because he named his son Walter after Walter Cronkite. And he, you know, he takes it as a personal insult. Well, he always talks about X-Pac heat and he's just, he's so wrong the way he says it and what he thinks he knows of it. And, you know, and he'll, he'll use it in an MMA context of, like, Oh yeah. So-and-so is getting X-Pac heat right now. I'm just like, wow, no, he's he's not. And you, you also don't know what, what you're saying when you mean that. And, um, and so it's, uh, and, and actually funny enough, Sean Waltman, the, the wrestler, Um, doesn't mind that term, but actually reached out to, I think he added, he, he, he at Ariel Holwani and basically said like, you know, don't ever mention my name, you know, on your shows again, if you're going to like talk to me about that. And, uh, it's pretty funny actually. So, um, (laughs) it's, it's, it is definitely now, um, I'm seeing it a lot more often, you know, people will just you know, they'll say something, you know, that happens in sports, and then they'll be like, yeah, just like the time, you know, Andre's or, or just like the time Hogan slammed Andre, right? It'd be it just you're right, it just rolls off the tongue. Now, you and I,
1: yeah, I mean, we bonded right off the bat with wrestling. Um, America's greatest export, I always call wrestling America's greatest export. Um, it's that was a bit surreal to me when I was went to a show a house show in Singapore, uh, a few years ago, and it's just a packed stadium. It's the one stadium that really every big event has like if there's a if there's a ONE FC fight if there's a if there's a um a UFC fight if there's anything so the wrestling show was there that's when I saw Becky Lynch and Alexa Bliss um mm. and it's yeah it's just amazing to just just think how all these This fans, is the well, Super Arena by the way. Um in Singapore there's no real Super oh, Arena. Oh, sorry, be,
0: not Singapore. Not Singapore, Sorry, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Japan. And yeah. Um,
1: I've been to the sumo arena in Japan to see a sumo fight, but uh, I oh, have sumo hall, sumo, yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, so I'm in the Singapore Indoor Stadium. Gotcha. And so it's not a, I would it's not huge by the standards of like you know ACC or MSG or anything, but it's still a sizable enough crowd. I guess it's worth their while to show up and do an appearance, and um, you just get the same chance that you'd see on TV in America. And it's really interesting to think how this product has just gained this kind of relevance to these, all these people on the other side of the world. Like it's the same chance. It's the same reactions you'd get, um, you know, just when you turn on raw. Uh, So it's, it was, it was blew me away to think how it's grown from where it was when we were growing up. Do you remember your earliest memories? Like when you got, when you first saw it before you knew what it was and then how you, how you got hooked
0: wrestling was like my first memories period like i remember (laughs) uh, i remember you know i remember throwing like a tv guide I i have these really fleeting memories of living in an apartment in mississauga of me throwing a tv guide out the um out the balcony of like the 12th story and me getting yelled at and then um you know my parents kind of fill in the blanks you know they tell me that I really liked George Bell and Jesse Barfield of the Blue Jays, right now. So, <clears throat> I know that I want to say I was probably a Blue Jays fan before anything else and I really enjoyed, you know, pop music on the radio. Um, you know, cuz my parents would listen to like, you know, CHFI or something like that, you know, just adult yeah. contemporary music, which on a side tangent, I'm actually kind of glad that I did because all my friends that were grew up on like, you know, Q107 rock station, they've kind of been pigeonholed since. And um, I'm just kind of glad that, you know, my parents had the sense to get me introduced to like Duran Duran and David Bowie, just really eclectic artists. And I think that's what really made me the music lover I am today. Um, But in terms of wrestling, like I, um, it's weird because I want to say, I want to say my first match that I ever saw was was Bret Hart, but it probably wasn't. I remember seeing Dino Bravo on TV with those pastel trunks and he was probably okay. probably in a match with like Duggan or something like that, Hacksaw. And um I remember going to Maple Leaf Gardens, so that's another thing that was oh, in my memory. Okay. My my first yeah, Maple Leaf wrestling. I never I did see a Leafs game pretty much in their last yeah. year at Maple Leaf Gardens before they went to the ACC. So my first ever trip to Maple Leaf Gardens was to watch wrestling, and it was, you know, WWF had like A, B, and C show, and this was definitely like a B or C show, because I remember it was like Tito Santana against like DiBiase was the main event, so there's probably no way I would have seen Hogan or anyone like that. I think for me, like wrestling was, I was a fan of it, but because it was kind of discouraged in my household to an extent, I kind of had to you know, watch it in the darkness kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> I had to uh I had to be kind of a closeted fan. And listen, I really lucked out because, you know, I went to the one show in Maple Leaf Gardens and I did attend WrestleMania Six by complete fluke, not knowing, like <laughs> not at all knowing that it was gonna be Hogan and Warrior as the main event. It was just and I too was kind of scarred because it was just, it was so loud. It was, well, what I remember about WrestleMania six was I was getting really tired. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a young kid. Um, and then, you know, everyone just really erupts for the main event. And I didn't know, I was like petrified, like, who should I cheer for? It was really weird. (laughs) Um, it was a really weird experience. So, you know, for me, I guess my earliest memories was, you know, realizing that I was in the Hulkamania era, but, really at the at the later stage of it, right? I mean, it was slowly coming to a head. I mean, WrestleMania Six was this great big stadium show and then they could barely sell out, you know, fifteen thousand the following year in Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, Hulkamania was still coming to an end. But at that point, I was I was an unapologetic wrestling fan. You know, I was like I like okay. the Jays, I like the Leafs, um, but my God, you know, I loved Bret Hart and I loved Hogan and um and Virgil and, you know, pretty much all the baby faces, right? So I um you we were on just a few months before me.
1: Now, just to, before I get into that, just a little tension is as a kid in there, that's nineteen ninety that's the year you're talking about. I took for granted that, you know, Toronto, we've always talked about how it's this it's it's not a destination, it's not a desirable place for players and it's not it's a large city. It's like economically powerful in North America relative, you know, in, in, by many measures compared to the top cities in the, in the continent. But, you know, it's not a powerhouse. And I kind of just assumed it was because the Jays were winning. The Leafs were doing good. Like that was like happening at the same time. The Jays won back to back world series. And then, and then I knew about, well, there's WrestleMania here. So I just assumed that's normal. I didn't realize that it's, this is, this is this little blip in the history of Toronto. But, yeah. um, I I kind of only got into wrestling uh, probably about July or August of that year. So what would happen is, is somehow I ended up on WWF Superstars and there were, I I don't know if it was the first, but where it left a real impression was, you know, those jobber matches that would happen. And Mm -hmm. when they were heading into the pay-per-view, they would just feature ex-wrestlers week over week the same wrestlers week over week who were going to head into that um, into the into the card and who really kind of stood out was Mr. Perfect because he always wore those yellow trunks for the most part and he looked aerodynamic. He used to do these really just um, eye-catching moves like a drop kick which I didn't appreciate at the time was how hard it was to do that standing drop kick he would do and And um and then he would finish it with the perfect plex, which the mechanics of it all just looked super curious to me, how the body could contort and he could hold it and he could lift the guy over and hold him back in the the fisherman suplex, but just hold it together. Um and then the te- Texas tornado who looked stellar and he would just do that twist. I only ever remember like the claw, which I was like, Whoa, he's got the claw and he'd do the twisting punch. So it was more like very visual as a kid. Yeah. Um, which is also why like the Heart Foundation and the Ultimate Warrior really kind of left an impression on me because Hart Foundation came in these bright colors. Bret Hart would have those shiny sunglasses and he would actually go give it to the fans. So these are just very visual, but they left an impression on me as a kid. The Ultimate Warrior, of course, all the colors and the music was just super awesome. Um, so then when, um they kept doing those promos with Rick Rick rude and the ultimate warrior behind the bars. So uh, lots of colors. That's really what sucked me in. And in terms of the moves, like when there was a lot of running and a lot of jumping like that, definitely just, I'm really just boiling it down because I didn't understand what I was really watching. I just knew that these guys were flying around and jumping. These are the smaller guys, not the big guys. I didn't really care about the big guys. Um, because it just didn't look as fun. But then, um, that's probably what lured me in, I think uh, was just seeing Mr. Perfect, like do the perfect plex. That's probably what first sucked me in. Then I think when they definitely, when I knew they had me as a wrestling fan was was the the finishing move by the Hart Foundation, just the running of the ropes, the heart attack,
0: Bret Hart kind of just doing this clothesline. I was like, oh, this is really, it just sucked me in. I remember I would occasionally get whatever version of WCW at the time here in Canada. Yeah. I think I think we would the catch Power superstars. Hour. We would catch, yeah, TBS Power Hour. <clears throat> we wouldn't get on Saturday nights because I believe it was Saturday nights,
1: 6.05. Well, that was, yeah. So you would have to get the, once every few months, they would do the free preview of the cable yep. channels, WGN. That's and exactly so TBS, it. so when you knew that was going to come, you're
0: like, okay, yeah. I've got WCW now yeah. for a bunch of shows this weekend. And yeah. and I remember so I, I knew of like I knew about Luger and Sting and Flair and when I would go to the grocery store, this was another thing I was doing. I would always go to the wrestling, I would always <laughs> go to the magazine section and depending on what store you were depending on what store you were with, like I remember going to like a shoppers drug mart and you know, the old lady behind the counter was like, All oh, right, you gotta pay for it if you're gonna read it, just you know, <laughs> just harassing me and my mom's trying to pick out like, you know, makeup <laughs> compound or something like that. And I would just try, because I knew full well that my mother would never purchase a magazine. So, you know, I would just be absorbed. And I'm like, I didn't quite understand the concept. Like, these two wrestling companies, and one's based out of New York, and the other in the Carolinas. And, But I knew that, you're right. It's, it's funny how I think I still, at that age, at that era, maybe if you and I were... 8 years old and it's 1982 would have been different maybe the wrestling would have compelled us more but as a television product you know there's a reason why Vince was was better with kids there was better with with kids our age um it's because he we were we were into the colors we were into the thema- uh, thematics the entrance music the the presentation um you know Warrior would just do his you know one two moves and you know they really sold Kurt Henning as like the most athletic guy in wrestling. And what did he do? He did a standing drop kick and a perfect plex. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> nothing compared to today's standards, but it, it, it totally got us over. And, and WCW was just really, it just really lacked that production value. It just really lacked that, that, you know, television product. And, you know, maybe if we were in our twenties, we would have understood what Ric Flair meant about, you know, about, um, about being the sixty minute man and um, and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it might have appealed to us more then, but at that at that age, you know, us being um what are we, millennials, Gen Xers, whatever it was. Yeah. We Millennium um yeah, WWF was was the product for us. Because we had it had the lights, it had the music, it had
1: the colors. And it's funny though, like when I watched WCW, I felt like I was watching an inferior product just because they didn't have that stuff you exactly. talking about. Exactly. But at the same time, too, I couldn't really turn away because I keep watching this wrestling, and I'm like, "Hmm, it's interesting." It's like, it's like I just for some reason I was digging it. I was like, "You're bringing up some memories too." Like, yeah, you know, like for some reason I'm intrigued by what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing Ron Simmons power slam Vader, and he's winning this championship, which I didn't realize was a big deal at the time. And then I'm seeing like Steve Austin with just his finishing move, which is actually hilarious when I think about it now, where he's just just picking up a guy up and throwing his, his body on the top rope yeah, and that was like devastating. Right. And actually, to be honest, I mean, from what I understand, it actually would hurt quite a lot. Just even being thrown into those ropes, your just body gets all welted up. But, um, and I remember, um, I'm trying to remember like, you know, he had the, a young Paul Heyman on the cell phone, which I mean, it's the nineties, no one had cell phones. So that was super cool. Did you watch the Saturday Night Main Event with Hogan and stuff before? Cuz I never saw any of those. The f- the ones that are so famous that people still talk about
0: today. Yeah, I remember I do remember the Big Boss Man one. Um where him and Boss Man in a cage again, fleeting memories okay. as well, just and then um the great thing about well, what WWF did really well and this is where this is why I felt like I was always part of Hulkamania was that if you remember, um his Hoosier Dome main event match, WrestleMania 8 against uh Sid Justice was supposed to be his retirement match. Yeah. And so they did this crazy special in all of his matches. And they even showed, and that was the first time I saw the Warrior match on TV, right? I hadn't got it on cassette or anything. Um, and they showed, you know, him, you know, beating Sheik. They showed him beating Orndorff. and um you know him and Brutus against Savage and Zeus. It's like I, I really got Hulkamania. You know, it's just like in this one or two hour special with with him and Vince McMahon hosting it, and just going. It was almost, it was almost, uh, it was almost quite shoot style. I mean, they were talking about how it's the end of his run, and um, so, so in answer to your question, did I capture every the Saturday Night's main events like? maybe like if I, if I remember channel yeah. surfing at the time, but, but the great thing about this special before WrestleMania eight was it really, it was you know, this was, this was like pre network. This was pre DVD. It was, it was a really good special and you just felt like you were in a time machine and it just took you through Hulk Hogan's entire WWF run up okay. until that mania. Yeah. You know? So
1: the first time I caught a Saturday night's main event wasn't like the, so those NBC Saturday night's main events, they sounded like, sh- like really important milestones for the company and that they just were, cause it was on network television. But then when I, when I got into it, when I first, the first one I saw was a Fox, it was, it was those, they branded it Saturday night's main event, but it had different logos. And it was just, it, you knew it didn't have the same gravitas. Cause this was post Hogan. This is post Hogan. This was when you had like Shawn Michaels beating Davey Boy Smith for the intercon title. And you had, there was that weird, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, tag team that eventually just didn't even happen. Yeah. Do you remember when? That, the, that, that's uh,
0: when the the Ultimate Maniacs? Yeah. Okay, and it was um, it it was that was that the comeback. Was... That that was the comeback. That that was that okay. was the that was the return. There was quite the scandal as to why they got kicked off NBC um, in the first place um, many years ago. But that was the return, and I do remember. Shawn michaels winning the intercontinental championship from from bulldog i'm like wow this is a this is a big deal like i've never like i've never ordered a pay-per-view and you really felt like you were getting a pay-per-view match yeah. I was on TV. Say that. Mm-hmm.
1: when they had those cards you're seeing these two guys actually wrestle who just normally would just wrestle their jobber matches and you just get to see them get all their moves in which was super fun at the time um but it was a real issue it was a real thing and then you could you, you now you realize how they were moving the product because it eventually got to a point where superstars would have they would they would have to have one match a week where it was two non-jobber guys two actual stars wrestle at the end of the show and it would be like they would just do something for a few minutes and then there would be that match right it was like it was creeping in like through the 90s like there was i guess it was just product the competition it was just driving it like it would be like the one, two, three kid versus, um, versus like DiBiase.
0: And then that, that's when they were really branding that anything can happen in the WWF, you know. Oh, and yeah. they would use right. either, you know, it's like for the past 12 years, no job would ever win. But then with one, two, three kid, lightning kid, whatever he was going into that fight, um, yeah, that's when that happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, and that was the only time that they were at that jobber for many, many years. So then he, so then there was that instance where DiBiase was just calling out Razor saying, Oh, you know what a loser he is. He lost a bunch of new kids. So he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give Razor. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Razor said, I'm going to put up 10,000 bucks of cash. And he just leave this bag of cash under the ring for, under the, the, the ropes for the kid to, uh, to, to fight him. So then, and that's when the kid just stole the cash because well he couldn't beat Razor. He tried the same move, couldn't beat him, so he just took the cash and ran away. Somebody yeah. had a car, and um, so then, <laughs> <laughs> and then when then when then when the kid um, when one to three kid faced DiBiase, and then Razor, I don't know, just came to distract him, and that's when the kid just rolled up DiBiase and won.
0: Um,
1: that was I don't know. The, the, it's these moments that you think at the time are just like passing moments on network tv
0: and then years later
1: you still remember them and they're still sort of brought up like by yeah. writers and fans and it's just in, it's funny how you're just turning on the tv for an hour and you think you're just gonna sort of watch something you don't realize you're you're yourself as a fan becoming part of the lore because we're talking about it now and somebody else is going to hear this and it's you know it, it's just when they're creating this content at the time they don't realize that it's kind of interesting
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's leaving an impression. Um, you're right. The product is evolving. I think the first time I saw, I remember my first like, wow, I can't believe I'm watching this on TV. It was IRS versus the bulldog. And they just did, um, they just did a count out win for, for the bulldog. And that was kind of like the best TV finish you could get. It's like, if you want (laughs) to see, if you want to see like, you know, Warrior beat Honky Tonk, man. You got to order the pay-per-view, right? That that was Vince's thing. He was never... It was only really when when, when Eric Bischoff came up with, with Nitro and was giving these pay-per-view matches and pay-per-view finishes on TV. Every Vince week. Had <laughs> every yeah. single week that Vince really had to adapt. But before that, you know, uh, WCW was doing none of that. Uh, WCW, I guess the best thing they had was, was Clash of the Champions, which I believe was free if you had um, TBS, and that was a yeah. big tv event um but they would market it as such right it was a tentpole event it was look this is um you're gonna get you know the, this 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 the name clash of champions means something where you do a whole series of house shows leading up to it the feuds are built up and you're gonna get new champions um, new angles so on and so forth but um really everything that happened in WWF, what happened at the pay-per-view, right? It was very little done on TV. Um, If it was, it was on Saturday night's main event. Um, I think for me was, um, you know, when I watched, again, it was that whole 91 year where, you know, I I didn't, I knew about, obviously, the Hart Foundation. I would seen like the, the, you know, the Hart Foundation win a couple times, then lose to like the Nasty Boys for the title. And, seeing Bret Hart, you know, beat Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam at MSG, I think it was 91. And um oh yeah.
1: That's yeah, that memorable. was like
0: that was like that was it, it was just it was just perfect, you know, I was at the right age and Bret was like the right kind of athlete again. You know, for me it was like it was it was almost a conscious move on my part, right? Because like yeah, Wayne Gretzky was still around and Mario Lemieux and um I'm just trying to think of other guys, maybe Roberto Alomar. Maybe, I don't think he was quite a J yet, but there was like other guys that, uh, you know, people had Michael Jordan as their hero. And I felt like I would have been a bandwagon if that was the case. And just, I just kind of hitched my wagon to Brett. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take this guy. Like he's the intercontinental champion right now. And I never thought, and with good reason, you would never think that he would win the the gold Big gold, um, a year later, and it's incredible to think because it is incredible
1: when you're a kid that year feels forever, you don't realize it's just a year looking back. Yeah, yeah, he had that.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Because so much happened with Flair coming, and you know, that incredible Royal Rumble in 92 where it was just nothing but Hall of Famers. Actually, everyone but Brett was in that Royal Rumble. he had a sternum injury. He was still Intercontinental Champion. But it was just crazy that w- you and I were so invested in those years, like the 91 to 93. And I didn't know the business was tanky. I didn't know that, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was crazy, right? Because all this is happening in the background where, you know, house show revenue is down. Um, they're not selling out these big arenas anymore. Um, the media turning away
1: from it, and general it. yeah, yeah. But, uh,
0: but gonna, it's like it's it's like for you and me, it's like you could have fooled us, right? This is the biggest thing on earth. So it's interesting. Um, I
1: didn't realize that I was going to make that point too. That when people talk about the business going to the tanker, for me, that business was just climbing up. It was just getting better and better each yeah. year. That's how it felt. I was just getting so invested. I'm like, there was like the. Um, you talked about Hitman and his run with the IC title and things like when the Mountie's like pouring water on him and then he's shocking him with a cattle prod. It's <laughs> yeah. like, and it's a super turbo. Uh, he he uh, didn't dude. just use the normal shock stick he would carry. He brought that case to the ring and he had the case oh, under goodness. the chair and he yeah. was like slowly opening the latches to the case. And we didn't know what it was going to be until until he just revealed the super the larger shock stick that was like, like had more voltage. Then he was just like shocking Brett, right? Because um, <laughs> at first, Jimmy Hart throws the water on Brett, and Brett's just pissed off because he got water thrown on him. He doesn't realize he's about to get shocked.
0: I don't know if you heard, but Jake, Jake has completely shat on Brett Hart because in the mid-90s, I guess he had to take more of a creative role and they wanted to keep him on. Vince had a soft spot for Jake and apparently Jake was like, you can't put the belt on Bret Hart. No one's going to believe him. I'm like, he's the most believable champion they ever had. Like, what are you talking about? It's just just crazy that he's, he's said stuff like that. um, Yeah. But you know what though? Like, I think I do remember
1: him saying that. And as a kid, I was all in on Bret. However, as a kid, and I do see what he's saying. It's a remarkable decision to put that belt on Bret, given all the other guys who had that belt before him. And Brett was a small guy and it wasn't something that was done. It was moving the business into a different direction. It was, it, it, it were these certain tent poles moments where it's like putting on on Brett was like, well, we're not putting it on the bigger guy. And now we're expecting people to believe that he's going to, and to Brett's credit, for the most part, he did make us believe like, like Kevin Nash, who's seven feet always said, yeah, like he's the only five foot five, eight guy I would let put me in a backbreaker. And it always looked tight working with Brett. So uh, I like some- I think it's a, I think
0: it's a pretty I think it's a pretty stupid statement because you know you had guys on the other channel like freaking Ronnie Garvin and Rick Flair and I'm sorry Harley Race I know he's like the toughest man in the world but you know he looked like absolute shit. You had guys like that winning the belt on the other channel. You just had Savage completely undersized, you know, have a believable Whoa, no, amazing prototype. Well if and Brett were you know to me just just what six one guys you know type of thing i mean the the whole idea is that Hogan was really big and his his feuds against boss man bundy um you know warrior you know it's like okay that's th- that I could see hogan wanting to do programs like that, but you know if 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 Brett's not believable. Then how is Ric Flair believable? How is Ricky Steamboat believable? No, how is Savage so believable? It, it's a
1: different product, right? So WWF the history was always you had Bruno Sammartino, then you had Hogan, then you you had there were bigger guys. Okay, I, I mean I'm overlooking Backlund, but I don't know how long Backlund actually was. Actually, uh, Backlund was like seven years, I think. I think. It was quite
0: a while. Yeah, Backlund but, was a uh, huge long run. Yeah, but Backlund was but, a uh, shoot wrestler, right? He was he was. Um,
1: so I was going to say the tent poles are such that there was probably a time in the business when, when you're putting on a guy who cannot shoot and handle himself. And there would have probably been people, bookers, or guys in the bookers' ear and Vince's ear saying, how can you put it on a guy who's not a legitimate wrestler? Like, this isn't done. Because it used to always be you had to have legitimate wrestlers in case you needed mm-hmm. somebody who could yep, shoot. Yep, and that's yep. why guys like Harley Race and uh, um, who else is there? Harley Race or Larry Zabisco, oh, Luke, like could handle as- themselves. Lou would yeah. handle themselves if they needed to. So then you get to Brett and then you go a few years later, you have Kevin Nash saying same thing about Eddie and Benoit. Like the day those two yeah. guys held the belt at WrestleMania 20 is the day our business died. Yeah. And then, You have me saying years later, when Daniel Bryan is there doing the yes chant in the ring with the belt, I'm like, all right, this is ridiculous. Actually, I was saying it was ridiculous when I saw him try to put an armbar on the Big Show, and the Big Show is actually bending down. There's no legitimate way a guy that Daniel Bryan can actually make the Big Show bend over. It's just stupid. Like You can have a small guy wrestle a big guy. Brett wouldn't do something that stupid. Did you ever see Brett once try to pick up Yoko and put him in a backbreaker? never happened once. No, no. Because he knew it's it's not believable. There was you would never yeah. believe someone would be that dumb to think they're gonna pick up a five hundred pound guy when the when one guy weighs two yeah. two thirty. Like yeah. so Daniel Bryant that's why I don't have any faith in a lot of these guys like AJ Styles and Daniel Bryant and AJ Styles is a stupid finisher. So let's let's backtrack before I bitch on the current product for a second. But <laughs> like when it really just went up a whole other level and I don't think it's ever been back, was when WWF decided we're gonna spend a shit ton of money on a huge video screen. And we're going to put, we're going to actually use a lot of lights in the arena. So it's not super dark and we're going to have a big stage and that's going to make our product. And that is what made it product because that's the only thing that changed from, from like one year to the other was they decided to spend money on a stage and a video screen and some lights. (laughs) That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm all in. And then it's two hours and they're just going at it. And they had the right personalities and they didn't. And the fact that they had over the, kind of few years during the new generation era with moved away from the steroid guys. And you had now guys who were a little more athletic, could move a bit quicker, who were a little, little sharper on the mic and they were not as cartoonish. Oh, okay. They were cartoonish guys, but the guys I'm talking about, Austin, Hart, Sean, Diesel, Razor. Like I know Razor and Diesel had left before the big Tron showed up, but these were guys that were wrestlers who they were kind of the right bridge to head into that next generation where, um, where they, they could show up on that product and it could start feeling real. And then you had the right writer, and Vince Russo. I know you don't like, but he was the right guy for that time to like take this product and make it feel just the, – the, it was a different set of visuals for now a generation of like us who are a bit older where you had the Videotron, you had the lights, and you had these guys going back and forth on a mic. They had more real estate to actually stand in the arena and yeah. talk to each other and talk shit to each other and, and I actually, work around the I, way. I,
0: I actually like Vince Russo, and I would hire him today. What I would do is um I would be like vince um you're you're gonna you're gonna email me all your storyline ideas and you know maybe maybe you'll jump in a zoom call once in a while and that's the extent but I would love to hear what he has to say about certain guys and um because I think I think that guy can be money I mean if you look at the ninety eight survivor series that tournament and that that was that that's probably the greatest single night of booking. And, you know, it was, it was poetic uh, yeah. actually the the whole, right. And that was, okay. that was all rooster. Right. Um, thing about, you're right about today's product. And, and the difference is, is that it's funny because, you know, UFC debuts in like 1993. So it's not all too long that, um, my fandom of wrestling is also coinciding with this just barbaric sport and Tyson's getting out of jail and I'm just like all in on Tyson fights and getting really into boxing. So, and oh, kind of, you know, yeah. for me, I'm like, I'm I'm getting into, um, I kind of know what's real and know what's, you know, what's, what's, what's not real type of thing. But the, you're right though. The the thing that today's product gets wrong is that <clears throat> they'll say that, well, the biggest money draws are Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. And, and they're right. They are. But Floyd fights other 145 pounders. Floyd does not fight Tyson Fury and, and knock him out. Conor McGregor doesn't knock out Kane Velasquez. Like, you're right. It looks ridiculous when Daniel Bryan is trying to do that to the big show. I mean, um, uh, Brett, when Brett beat Yoko, you know, Brett had to barely beat him by the skin of his teeth. When Ric Flair beat Vader, you know, at Starcade it was like, man, Ric Flair had to like throw like chair shots at this guy and just, you know, just, just barely beat him. There was that element to um to wrestling then that I think now they're just like these small guys are just like, Well, you know, lightweight guys are winning real fights, so why can't we? And they forget that there's weight classes, right? So that's that that'd be my quick answer to to um to um counteract that point of view. Um
1: yeah. Um, so I,
0: I think, um,
1: it just, it, okay. I stopped rest watching wrestling regularly after, um, there was a moment when it changed. I, I don't know if it was Benoit. I don't think it was even Benoit, to be honest with you. Um, something, there was something that just seemed, uh, I'd have to, oh, I wish I thought about this, uh, yeah, I mean, well, actually, it
0: might have been me moving. It might have been me moving, to be honest. Yeah, well, uh, it, it. So you moving and and Benoit's death coinciding. Listen, uh, it it turned off a lot of people because it it wasn't so much. Here's the thing about Benoit's death, which is which is, it was the event that everyone says it was. I mean, it was on CNN for like a week straight. It was, it was. It's funny because for I bet you for a long time you probably thought, man you know, wrestling should really be on ESPN and stuff. And then it was for all the wrong reasons. It was (laughs) pretty bad. But the thing about Benoit and Eddie going like two years apart from each other was like, you're right. It was kind of the last Mohicans. And and I think Kurt Angle had left WWF and he had gone to TNA. It was like, man, you you had all these thoroughbreds. You know, the reason why we loved wrestling during the Attitude Era was because you would have like, you know – You'd have Mark Henry giving birth to a hand on Monday Night Raw, but then you'd oh, also May have...
1: Young. Sorry, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. right.
0: Mark Henry allegedly impregnating May Young, and then she gives birth to a hand. But then you'd have, you know, Eddie and Benoit and, you know, Jericho and Kurt Angle. And we can we can talk about why we started watching Nitro and why TSN picked up Nitro because... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a superior television product in ninety-six. I mean, they had Holland Nash leave WWF. They had Hogan's, you know, majestic uh heel turn. And oh, by the way, they were having like Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko go like oh, you yeah. know, twelve minutes Just on television and doing stuff it we'd would, never
1: seen before.
0: And it was blowing away anything that WWF not only could do on TV but on pay-per-view matches because you know, all the good workers in WWF, um, you know, whether it was Brett and Owen, like, you know, like, Owen would have to have a match with, like, Henry Godwin or something like that. And, and Brett might have to have a match with the Patriot or something like that. It's just like, but here on WCW, they had all these guys, all this talent, and Bischoff was keen. And, and it, it's, it's so funny how, like, people want to mischaracterize Eric Bischoff, um, you know, wrestling acumen and all that stuff. Basically, Eric Bischoff was told by like his kids and friends that, hey, we really like the luchadors more than what we see on WWF because they're faster. That's that's all he ever heard was they're faster. And he's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to put them on TV. It's, just, it, it, it's true because you and I are watching these guys on WCW doing all this stuff and it's great, but... It's it's just faster. It's like we never knew wrestling could get to that level of athleticism and they could do so much in a six-minute match that WWF guys like, you know, you know, Savio Vega was a good guy and him and Austin would have good matches, but th- there's no way they could do what like Dean Malenko and Ultimo Dragon could do in like 12 minutes. Not even close. There's two... Images in my head that
1: really stand out from WCW with well, three, I guess. And they're kind of right now, as you're talking about Rey Mysterio is one was when, when, um, Ray, I, I think it's Ray. was flying over the top at Eddie Guerrero. And I, uh, it was just like a hurricane around twisting in the air and he was falling through the air. Then the finish of a match was Ray was on the top rope. He was holding, he does a like a, a twisting, an infer, a flip in the air and he twists 180, t- ends up in a DDT. Now, someone might say, well, why, how's that different than some of the stupid stuff that's done today? Okay. I'm like, yeah, but if you were to think about what that move actually is, like it's conceivable that somebody like Ray with his momentum can catch a guy's head and they can go smash to the ground. It's not conceivable when why would because you needed to actually do that motion in order to get into a position where you'd have a ddt whereas when aj styles does his somersault in the air i'm like why do you do the somersault you could just jump like eddie does like why yeah. would you do that i'm like that's stupid yeah. um when rob van dam is jumping across the air and doing a van terminator like that's kind of it's one it's it does demonstrate his athleticism two it it it, the idea behind it is well if you get much hang time if you can get more air you get more momentum when you kick the guy in the face right like that's the whole reason you would that's how you would argue why that psychologically makes sense um the what do you call it the the aj styles finisher where he's holding the guy and he the other guy has to make sure he's bending his neck all the way back so he doesn't get a stinger when he when they slam his body down it's like it just it, it doesn't really Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't make sense why you're holding the guy's legs and you're smashing his legs to the ground. Like, you wouldn't, you're not even really damaging the guy. Like, psychologically, the move doesn't make sense. So, all these lucha moves, when you talk about them being faster, that's how it comes across. And I think to people who grew up watching it, like, wow, they're faster, therefore I'll just do that. Whereas, no, well, the component that was missing was it was faster, but they started, they broke into the business, not learning to just go fast. They broke in under, like, you talk about Dean Malenko, who's from the Malenko family learning what wrestling is. Ray is from a wrestling family. They learned what wrestling was. They learned how to be wrestlers. And then they figured out moves that were going to accentuate the stories they were going to tell. And so that's why it always worked um, with those matches. When, made
0: sense. When you and I were like first watching wrestling, you know, uh, you know, Tito Santana or like freaking, you know, Rick Martel, you know, second rope cross body <laughs> oh, would, often yeah. be, would often be enough for a finisher. And we were okay with that because of the standard of the time. So, I I hate it when people say, like, oh, you know, the super kick today is like, you know, it's just just a wrestling evolution. Like, the super kick isn't devastating, finish it is today. And that that to me just just makes no sense whatsoever because when I'm watching a UFC fight and I just saw Anthony Pettis fight the other day, I'm thinking, if Anthony Pettis does his Showtime kick or any any variation of his flash kicks, that's going to knock a motherfucker out. And that's it. And he's 10 years older than he was before. Doesn't make sense to me. Our, our, our right cross is still going to knock a guy out if it's timed perfectly. Why shouldn't a super kick? I, I'm all about it can create but it's, it's also a fine line, it's not
1: being delivered properly. If you look at the Shawn yeah. Michaels super kick, it looks effective, it actually looks like a guy's being knocked out. All the other guys, from Dolph Ziggler to AJ Styles, they're sort of just going through the motions and doing a kick, like it doesn't yeah. look like it's an actual super kick like the kick that put carrot kurt, kurt angle i always remember that image in my head when kurt angle he's screaming at Shawn michaels Shawn michaels he's like out of it playing possum quick step back just kick in the face like yeah just one of the most vicious super kicks that there is yeah by the way that's a very low-key underrated top match of all time oh it's i think it's, no I think really it's in my top
0: three i think yeah I got, no one like, talks about it no, no i think i got it. i think i got like you know, just quick tangent. I think my WrestleMania matches all time is WrestleMania twenty main event. I think I got you Rock. Know what?
1: I think all I got this, Rock. I think maybe we need to do another pod on
0: top yeah. wrestling matches. Let's just okay, park yeah. that. No yeah, problem. Because um, I, I bet we can. But yeah, I'm completely with you that. So, anyways, back. I, I was I was going to go somewhere where. <clears throat> okay, so we saw you know a cross body, a fisherman suplex. Um, yeah you know a, a DDT would be you know would be the end right of a match in like the early 90s and then by the end okay you know Ray Mysterio by the way I think you're thinking of Rey Mysterio Eddie Guerrero from uh Halloween Havoc like 98 99 where I think Ray's dressed up as the phantom and um what's um. crazy is that I later learned that they barely worked together ever it's kind of crazy kind of like um kind of like how you would assume that Bret Nolan, um when they fought at WrestleMania 10 how cohesive they were and they they barely wrestled like four matches ever you know in their life it's pretty crazy how you assume that these guys have worked all over the world and they really haven't and um so anyways um yeah so finishers and just move sets and you look i'm adaptable as anyone else if i see a cool move today but when i see i don't know if you know this move it's called the canadian destroyer no it's it's basically the most bullshit move I've ever seen, and but 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 it, but it, but it's also the most internet move ever. It okay. requires complete, um, complete Assistance. cooperation from okay. the opponent. Okay. Um, it makes no sense. So when you think of a finishing move, you think of okay, I'm gonna, you know, like like Randy Savage's elbow. Basically, he he knocks you out to a point that he's able to ascend to the top rope, drop an elbow, and that's that's the, that's the end of the match, right? So yeah. you would think if you hurt someone to a certain point, he wouldn't be able to help you during the course of your finishing move, and that's what the Canadian Destroyer is. It's 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 peak twenty twenty wrestling, in my opinion. Um, it's 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 everything. It's a it's overused. Everyone uses it. For God's sakes, Goldust even uses it right now because he's still wrestling. Um, Dustin Reynolds. It's pretty impressive for a fifty year old man to do it, but I still think it's pretty ridiculous. It's the stupidest move I just I just pulled it up now. It's, yeah. So just it, I want to describe
1: it to whoever who hasn't seen it and is listening. You jump onto a guy as if you're gonna deliver a pile drop or a power bomb. That you hold on to him, that guy lifts you up as a doing a back body drop, and then also oh, he that was I don't even know how to describe it anymore because I'm getting confused. What actually happened here? Well, it's like, they
0: both, they both, they both kind of tumble. Um, yeah, they've tumbled together. It's just yep, like you're looking like you're
1: going to lift a power bomb, but then you jump ballet. over.
0: It's it's yeah. super
1: stupid. Now there's yeah. a move
0: called there's a move called the Spanish Fly, which is pretty much both guys are on the top rope, and one guy does a moonsault. He's the move giver, and the receiver um does pretty much a front senton so they both are arcing at the same time and it it turns out being like kind of a version of a diamond cutter but with a flip that i can halfway get behind it's it's pretty cool visually especially when smaller guys are doing it. it was basically the finish it was a big move during the um the Ronda Rousey Becky Lynch Charlotte Flair match that was kind of the the arc of that when when Charlotte did it to Becky it was it was pretty cool especially seeing you know women do it but i can again i can halfway get behind it but there's a lot of these moves now that you know and and, and i think the reason why you and i liked you know have such an affinity for 90s wrestling is because it was just so much more protected back then i mean we talked about the 97 screw job we talk about all these things like just little things like, you know, why it was so important for Bret Hart not to get hit with um, with a jackknife powerbomb before The Undertaker would sabotage the match. I mean, just these little idiosyncrasies and people are probably wondering like, oh, why? Why do they have to do? Well, the business, they didn't have all this guaranteed money back then. Like your next pay-per-view gate was not guaranteed these wrestlers knew that they potentially would have to join another promotion, and it was it was it was you know they had to be protected to it and to that extent, I think it made for a better wrestling product. I think that's why you and I have the affinity that we have now is because the wrestlers took it a lot more serious than they do today i um <laughs> I want to touch on that, but I just let you know, I watched Mustafa
1: Ali do a Spanish fly to Cedric Alexander. I don't know who either of yep. those guys are. Cedric,
0: Cedric Alexander. Yeah. Uh, Mustafa is, Ali. That's his move. Yeah. It is
1: not as stupid as the Canadian Destroyer. Thank you. Um, but still really stupid. Uh, it's. Yeah. and And, and, and then not only did the guy do that move, but then. Uh, Cedric Alexander or whoever the guy who was the Cedric, victim of the yeah. move but by the way when you watch it it's hard to tell who is actually doing the move on who yeah it's and, true. and then the guy kicks out of the pin like so yeah. the, i mean i don't know what i'm
0: supposed to do with that this is yeah. just the stupidest yeah i don't know. that's that's 2020 bro i don't know uh, to your to your point i mean i think the most one of the more vocal guys when you know Ray and and Juventude and psychosis were coming in was a guy like Lex Luger, who could only work one style, like three Mm -hmm. big moves, then go to the finish. Cause you know, either he'd blow up or, you know, he was very protective about his body and the way he wanted to work and all that stuff. And, you know, he'd get in like, you know, he'd get in Kevin Sullivan's ear, Eric Bischoff's ear and say like, yeah, we don't ever want to work. Like there would be no point, to Lex Luger ever working with, like, Eddie Guerrero or Dean Malenko to, even if he went over them, the fact that these guys could, you know, work at a higher rate and bump around for him would probably make him look bad. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right that
1: oh, a lot yeah. of these guys wouldn't have – The there Cruisers was did get a little bit of – not heat, but, you know, there were definitely some eyes. Like, yeah, yeah, you're talking about Kevin Nash – uh just trying to like well like yeah there was there was definitely wrestlers who were a little wary of of what these guys with the undercard were going to do i think i think it really the guys at the undercard were doing these other they almost look like a separate brand but it's when they started doing things like the power bomb like multiple times is when you're like i right, like we're gonna not do that now because you're just you can't just yeah. do 10 power bombs in a match and uh and stuff like that, well, and, and well, even Rana.
0: even even Benoit, Benoit, you know, when he was uh, what was he in Japan? Um, uh, uh, Pegasus kid, right? I mean, yeah. he would, um, you know, him and Liger would do the. They would exchange power bombs. They would exchange tombstone pile drivers, and it's like, uh, what are you doing? Those are like two of the biggest <laughs> finishers in the world, right there. Right, you're giving it away in like a, a ten minute match. Um, I think it's actually. You know, the, uh, another reason why I have, I guess, an affinity for Bret Hart is the stories I like hearing a lot about Bret Hart is, you know, the ones about him giving Sean Waldman like 35 minutes on TV, and apparently there was a time where um, they wanted him to beat Rocky Maivia, like an up-and-coming Rocky Maivia, you know, within five minutes with a sharpshooter, and he's like, no, I not going to do it I'm champion but I'm not going to beat him like that on TV and I think it went to like a DQ or something like that but he made sure he beat Triple H clean the middle like the week later type of thing because you know there was a lot of that right there's a lot of you know Triple H and Sean wanting to cut the nuts off of of a young Rocky Maia V and there was a lot of you know that infighting but you still had guys like you know, Bret Hart wanted to work with guys that weren't over you. You know, uh, you'd hear stories about like Diamond Dallas Page, who was definitely had a seat at the big table, but still wanted to be one of the boys and really wanted to go to those house shows in like Toledo, Ohio, and work a match with like Booker T or Chris Benoit. And he was like the only guy from that kind of that that top tier that would still work house shows, you know and You'd hear stories like that of 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 stuff, and I think that's why when we look back to that era and you know you look at the guys that you have a real affinity for and and it makes sense that the guys that you kind of like were also the ones that had a good reputation were one of the boys were you know were were one of the guys that everyone really liked liked to work with like to hang out with like to be on the road with um it's just nice knowing that. The guys that we that we liked watching on TV, it was um, affirmation that they were also kind of like the good guys in the business, right? They weren't the uh, big political players. They were the, the ones that kind of were one of the boys. And that's a term that gets thrown a lot as well. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of good to see. I guess so. I mean,
1: I, I liked those guys that you don't like. I mean, I liked, I found Kevin Nash entertaining, Razor entertaining, Sean entertaining, all those guys. So whenever I heard people bashing them, I was like, it made me like them less, I guess, at first. But at the same time, too, I always just found them entertaining. Like whenever Sean would be sarcastic on TV, drop these little sarcastic remarks to Sergeant Slaughter, or Kevin Nash would be sarcastic, I always enjoyed it. Um, and I, uh, in high, in looking back now, I, I, I don't know. I'm just skeptical of a lot of the complaints I hear that come out of some of the wrestlers who just didn't really make it. Because I mean, some wrestlers did make it. Austin made it.
0: Park, uh, it never it, went it, away it depends right. it depends when uh, like i heard a shoot interview with like bob holly you know about scott hall and i'm like okay right because because <laughs> you were because you were really gonna put asses in the seats right so you're right you have to be skeptical uh, skeptical of, of who says those remarks and you know shane douglas as well and you know i was never i was never into shane douglas even when he was hot on ecw right because i'm just like And we haven't touched much about ECW, but, you know, Paul Heyman was just absolute genius. He just took all these guys that never got over before or after, but in his little world um, were a big deal. I didn't really understand when people were saying
1: Shane Douglas was over. Like that part never – I mean, I think I was getting into it at the time where – I was believing it because that's what people were saying. But when you were actually, even if I'm being honest with how I was looking at the product, I kind of looked at Shane Douglas almost like the way I looked at Hulk Hogan. I'm supposed to think that this guy is a big deal, but I don't really think he's a big deal. So that's kind of how I felt so about Shane Douglas. And like, I was about Hulk Hogan. I never cared about Hulkamania. I I, like, yeah. I I thought his, I, I would watch his stupid leg drop and I think, wait, why is that a, f-? like, I don't get it. I get, it looks stupid because also I could see his leg bent. So I'm like, well, he didn't really hit the guy in the head. Right. So, what am I watching? That's that what I, I thought. Think,
0: I think the thing for Hogan, for me, that I was that I believed was just because he was he was a big guy. So okay. okay. Whereas whereas um, whereas if Marty Jannetty hit a leg drop even off the top rope um, okay. because he was like almost 100 pounds less than Hogan, that it would not be as effective. So you know, okay. Hogan's big leg drop. I mean, you know, this. Well, was, let me cut for you. When the
1: one-two-three kid started doing his own matches, where he was not a jobber anymore, he would do these like quick succession like drops where he'd run the ropes, yeah, run into a sliding, fantastic three times. I'm like, whoa,
0: that looks like it really hurts.
1: Um, And there's no way
0: for the guy to, and there's no way for the. It was smart too, right? Because there's no way for the opponent to get out of the way. Where Hogan pretty much lost his WrestleMania six match because he would do the big jump, jump up in the air. That's right. And it was just like you jump in the hair, Even if you actually did it, like you, would,
1: it's like it's not the same as if I were like Booker T would swing his leg down on a guy's head mm-hmm. when he do that scissor kick. But mm-hmm. then the one two three kid also would jump off the top rope, and his finisher at one point in time mm-hmm. was uh, I'm going to jump and do a flying leg drop like that. Actually, yeah. didn't really hurt. Um, well,
0: it, so- it 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 kind of goes i mean you know what that's why that's why believability is yeah. a crazy thing right because going back to jake jake never could get into brett and let's face it jake probably doesn't like brett for other reasons and you know <laughs> a, lot, a lot of these guys are, are saying the stuff they are now because you know podcasting is a big thing and there's cameo now and you know people can do appearances and go on shows and you know my whole thing was like all right so Brett hart you know, comes from this shooter family with Stu Hart and him and Owen used to, were decent high school wrestlers. So I'm thinking they could legit, like, you know, I'm thinking Brett, it's believable for me that he can beat up, you know, perfect, you know, Randy Savage, even Hulk Hogan in a straight up shoot. Right. But I have to kind of, you know, think of it in a, in a a pro wrestling context, um, I never got why Hogan had to work with like Yokozuna. Like, why? Why did Why did Hulk Hogan not want to lose to Bret, but had no problem losing to Yokozuna? I mean, Bret looked physically more impressive than Yokozuna. Yokozuna just looked like a guy that, like, um. Well, he was a sumo wrestler. That was his gimmick. I mean, he's huge, I su- right? I suppose, but like, he's five hundred pounds. Like, like everyone yeah, thought. But that's, that's- that's the thing. He's he's five hundred. But that's you're you're making my point for me. That that's the razor. I mean, I look at that as a detriment. I'm thinking oh. like make that guy run around for a little bit and sweat it out, and and you've won I, the match. Where so. oh, I I see, I never.
1: Thought, I thought, hey, he's big. You can't possibly do anything to him. He'll just he'll beat you. Like he'll just. Yeah, I never, I never, what? I never, I never got it. it, <laughs> I mean, it was so like, funny.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, once, and I even was like
1: once his hands on you and he puts you down all he'll do is just hold you down and with his weight he'll just
0: that bonsai drop look like i don't even know how you fake that like when oh. the guy's jumping and and you've seen those bonsai drops where he did not like the guy he was working with right because um you know stories would come um what, what was his name rodney in real life um rodney uh, would, yeah yeah he, he would him. get he would get real fickle when like like him and Pat and the jobber would, would lay out the match. And the guy was like, you know, Oh, let me get a few forearm shots in. And he just decided, well, I guess you're getting the really, you're getting the shoot version of the bonsai drop. There's some vicious vicious ones out there, right? Um, You're right. If he does that to an opponent and someone in real life, it's, it's game over. But um, it's really funny how guys like Hogan and Nash, they were so protective of how guys looked and, You know, I mean Eddie was Eddie was an amateur wrestler. I mean, Benoit just looked like an amateur wrestler. Like when him and Angle would trade reversals and stuff, like my God, like Angle could like Kurt Angle could legit destroy anyone in the locker room. And you have this guy, Chris Benoit, who even Angle admitted later that no one could no one else that I've ever wrestled could ever do those transitions, those catches can style transitions like, like Benoit, and it looked super believable. And you know, the day the business died, according to Kevin Nash, was when these guys were champions. Like I, I I get it to a certain extent because I think what he also meant was the era of guys like him were kind of dead and gone, or that the that the fans did not have to you I mean, know, exactly. So I, I get I get Kevin Nash's point because it's kind of the end of his era, but I'm sorry, like Chris Benoit, I mean, it's funny because when he had, he dislocated Mark Henry's arm during, um, I think it was after the championship when he was building to his first title defense. So he legit dislocated Mark Henry's arm because during the cross phase, during the crippler cross face, and it just, and you remember the way that Benoit would do the crippler cross face. It looked legit. It looked, you know, it looked like no matter how big the guy was, that guy just, you know, put it in there. So. This one last point, I can't really let it go is it's a move that shouldn't it almost
1: like should be unbelievable. But when I see it happen in the way it's used, it ends up being believable. And I love it every time it's AJ Lee's black widow. I think that might be one of my top three favorite moves. I've got to think. Cause Mm. I didn't expect that. It just, it looks really cool how, and then the way she kind of can get it on is very athletic. And then it looks painful legit when she's doing it. But then when you're, when it's being done it, it's almost ridiculous but it's not over, not so over the top where it's not believable um, that's that's my take on it when i saw it okay. now the only one criticism i would have is if you're going to do a submission moves i feel like you have to work whatever part of the body it is that you're working through the match for it to, like otherwise I mean, it's just it's just like, why even have the match? Why don't I just go for the finishing move right away at that point? Like if, yeah. if That's the whole point, right? Like Brett yeah. would always
0: work the legs because you're going to slap on a sharpshooter, right? Yeah. Um, It's funny because you got me thinking of uh, a couple moves that... So I'll give you one that the internet loves and the internet hates, and I'm completely flipped on it. I like John Cena's pathetic Death Valley driver, the attitude adjustment. I mean... When when Perry Saturn when when Pe- when Perry Saturn did it and uh, like first of all Perry Saturn's just underrated guy. Everything every offensive move that guy did. Chris Canyon is another guy. Every move those guys did was so crisp, so perfect, so believable. I mean Perry Saturn did have a mixed martial arts background as well, and Mike Tenay. I, I do remember his debut. Mike Tanay was putting it over as well. Mike Tenay another underrated gem in uh, in professional wrestling. <laughs> um, and then when John Cena, who clearly just... I don't know if it's a trust thing that he can't quite, you know, land the opponent on the back of his neck. Or, let's face it, most people probably don't want to take Perry Saron's version of the Death Valley Driver. So, they like John Cena's kind of lift and prop you over. And, you know, it's just a flat back bump version of it. But for whatever reason, I love the attitude adjustment and people... You know, it's like it's part of John Cena's like, you know, five moves of doom. And he's not a great wrestler, even though he's been in so many good matches. Um, I love John Cena's um, uh, attitude adjustment and the move that I can't stand. And it's funny because he 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 took it from um, a Japanese wrestler and I like the way he does it. I don't like CM Punk's um, go to sleep. I think it was so stupid. Oh, that's that, stupid. Yeah. Why am I gonna get someone? Why am I gonna get someone? Um oh, let's see now, I'm, I'm. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna set someone up for like a Samoan drop, and then I'm gonna just see when when Brock Lesnar has you in that position. That makes sense. I'm so strong that I'm gonna twirl you in the air, and the impact is gonna <laughs> be so so crazy because the, the angle you're coming down like that. That yeah, just looks it's like a little force. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's an amateur wrestler, so it kind of works that he can pick someone up and he's just gonna throw you and it just it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Sam Punks go to sleep, it's like oh, it's just like the guy has to come down and he's gonna land on his feet, but he's also gonna land in a way where he's kind of crouching at the same time <laughs> so that so that he he catches his a knee is, to the it, face. Yeah. And the impact I mean he would hit a couple of go to sleeps that looked really cool, but for the most part, I never dug it, but because he was over um people believed in it um so those are those are two of my moves. I think I had another one, but that's actually a really good example of like of something that you know I mean John Cena is just you know merciless he's just it's just merciless what what's said about him and 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 written about him on the internet, and I kind of like his move. It's it works. Think, um, okay,
1: the to a quick point, I would go to sleep. I think CM Punk's not the right guy to do it. It has to be a guy almost like Brock, who's so strong that after they pick you up, they're strong enough to actually and arms long enough where they can actually throw your body back down to the ground while he's bringing his knee up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like CM Punk's lifting you up and letting you drop. It has to be someone like or maybe a Big Show who's so strong. That when you're falling down, they're pushing your body down. So there's force coming down while you're lifting your knee up, and then yeah. you would actually feel like a, a knee to the face. Yeah. Um, the 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 attitude adjustment. Okay, I was not a fan of it bef- in the very beginning because he's basically just doing a body slam, except you know he's the body is behind the neck instead of in front, and that's how he would do it. But then what happened was, I think over a bit of time, I felt like he was putting a little more gusto into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I think maybe just because of legacy, you get used to it. It signals to you when the end of the match is coming. And so maybe the, the crowd reaction also feeds into it. But when it started to... Um, yeah, so I'm kind of lukewarm on this, just like a lot about John Cena. like There was one image I remember when he had it with Edge and Lita together, but he like did an attitude adjustment where Lita flew off first. Like, Lita was on top of Edge. Then he threw Lita off. She she took it. Then he threw Edge down, and then he took it. So I think that was kind of cool, and it showed his strength. I think that um, when they decided to indify WWE, and they just had repeated attitude adjustments where the guy kind of just gets up right away, and then John does this, like, three more times, and the guy just bounces back up right again. I was like, alright, you're making it look like a body slam. It, it is. Like, there's just some moves that take more work to make it look believable, and that's one of them. I think when I went through a John Cena finishes, I, I, or I underestimated, overlooked how many of them, how many of his championship wins in WrestleMania came via the STFU. Yeah. So that was actually it. And, he makes, and I always thought it looked kind of silly when he did it for some reason when I was watching it real time. But when I look back at the clips, there are a bunch of times when it looks legit. Like he's straight torquing up Shawn Michaels's neck. And Shawn Michaels's leg is contorting back. Like, there were just different times when it was working, and I don't know why there are so many memories of that being lost. But
0: um, I think, um, I think, I think the application that he has is terrible. But it's also the image because, God, his arms are just massive, and the image of him just having his arms around your neck—it's like, okay, it might not look legit, but this guy could literally end your life if he wanted to. Well- so. For the there purposes times, of a wrestling move, it works. There are times when he did it where the leg is just
1: straight. kind of It's at a, at a at a straight 90 degree angle. It's not even being twisted. And his body is like leaning into the guy and not pulling back. So his arms are like closing on his cheeks, but they're not pulling. But these other STFUs that I was watching, he was like at this weird angle where his legs, because they were pushing out, were pushing the leg to the side. And this guy's arm, and John's was at a weird angle where he couldn't really get up so he ends up pulling back his arms are just straight pulling back even at a way you didn't really see benoit like pull back on the guy now on the guy's head benoit's cross face it actually weakened over the years i remember back in wcw it was like straight pulling the guy's arm back and then over the years it was like okay i'm gonna let the guy's arm curl oh up yeah because, i guess
0: like he's working with rock and he's working with Austin. those guys. Yeah. That's, they're not, that's not going to work. Yeah. (laughs) And it's probably, it's probably Vince McMahon in the back being like, well, pal, Uh, (laughs) you know, just, just that talk. Um, All right, man. Um,
1: No, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can go on about wrestling forever, but I mean, you gotta go uh, late and I'm going to go get some food. So, uh, everybody if you got your favorite wrestling memories your favorite moves or moves you hate we love to hear from all you guys bayheightspod at gmail.com is the email the handle is at bayheightspod on twitter and instagram give us uh, give us a shout we'd like to hear from you thanks everyone alright take care everyone goodnight stick to your vision keep the composition see the lot of shame in the game seen a lot of pain with the fame seen a lot of eyes and nose, but that's just the way life goes See my name's written